So I had someone come up to me years ago. Hey, man, I want you every morning, man. Hey, what they start you about? 80 a year? Coming next on Broadcast Bulletin, Josh Helmuth is the guest today. He is the morning anchor for KRDO's Good Morning Colorado. Today, Josh tells us how he didn't realize that he wanted to enter the industry until college. I know a lot of college students say, hey, that looks like fun. And that was me. Why he made the move from sports to news. Nine times out of ten, a news job is going to pay much better than a sports job. Some misconceptions viewers might have about the industry. Or how about some of the viewers who think just because you work for an ABC affiliate, you're hanging out with like George Stephanopoulos and Michael Strahan after this show. And so much more. This is Broadcast Bulletin. All right, let's get started. This is Broadcast Bulletin. I'm Jim Stan. Hi, everyone. I'm Jacob Brooks. Welcome to another episode. So glad you could be here. If you haven't already, make sure to go check out our website, broadcastbulletinpodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram at Broadcast Bulletin. Okay, so our guest for this episode, someone I've been excited to interview now for a while. His name is Josh Helmuth, and he is the morning anchor at KRDO in Colorado Springs. He's originally from an Amish town in central Illinois, called Arthur. He graduated from the University of Alabama, and today he's going to dive into what drew him into the industry, what it's like working as a morning and noon anchor, and so much more. Josh, thanks for being here. How are you? Guys, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, you know, we learned about you. I learned about you from your YouTube channel. You know, I enjoyed some of the content that you post on there, talking with young journalists, giving your advice, because you've been in the business for a while. You've seen a lot of changes. So, we're absolutely going to get into that today, but let's just start with the first question. So when did the broadcast book hit you and why? What drew you to work in television? You just walk us through your journey from your childhood when the broadcast book hit you through your college days. Uh, well, you know, I don't think my journey, how I got started in it was really a, uh, too typical. Um, I, I, I wanted to get into it because I wanted to do sports like a lot of people. I wouldn't say maybe a majority, but I know a lot of college students say, hey, that looks like fun. And that was me. I went to the University of Alabama on a tour. They're one of uh, three schools that somehow magically accepted me based on my subpar ACT score. Uh, Auburn fans are going to have a, a, a really good time with that joke. But uh, I decided to, uh, to cover sports because I wasn't good enough to play them anymore in college. And that's how I got into it. And then over the years... Um, I still pursued trying to become a full-time sports anchor, eventually did become a full-time sports anchor, uh, realized that, uh, news was a much better route for me. And so I am where I am today, I guess, just because I wanted to get paid to go to football games. Talk about the career stops you made throughout your career, starting with your first job leading up to Colorado Springs and KRDO. Okay, well, uh, my first job was kind of unique in that it was a work-study job at the TV station at the University of Alabama. It was a commercial station run by pros, kind of similar to what Mizzou has. Uh, I'm pretty sure Arizona State has the same thing. It's run by pros. You can work there as a student, get real-world experience. So I worked at WVUA in Tuscaloosa, got my first job out of college, actually producing and reporting for a website that's now defunct. Uh, left the business for a few years, got back into it by taking a job in Bakersfield, California at KBAK, uh, was a morning reporter, uh, was a dayside hard news reporter, telling some features here and there for KSHB in Kansas City, the NBC affiliate. 
Then I became a sports anchor full-time at KSDK, the NBC affiliate in St. Louis, before taking the morning position here as the morning anchor for Good Morning Colorado for KRDO in Colorado Springs. That's my resume. So what made you decide to get back into the industry? Well, uh, I was kind of at a crossroads. I was a, a youth pastor of all things while I was living in California. I have a passion for kids. I was really involved with my church. And uh, I did that uh, part-time, essentially, for four years while doing other miscellaneous jobs, thought about going into that as a career, going into seminary. And I realized, you know what? It's not really my passion. I don't think that's my, um, my true life goal as of right now. Let's go back and use my college degree that I worked so hard for and paid a ridiculous amount of money for. Um, so I felt pretty confident in my storytelling ability. And I, I'm really passionate about telling stories. And so I applied, this is back in 2000. 12 for about six months. I applied to stations all across the country. I think I applied to, this is a rough number, maybe 56 different stations. One said yes, an hour and a half up the road. I was living in Burbank, California, hour and a half away up in Bakersfield. Uh, and it was a, it was a great fit. And so it, it just took one news director to say yes, to get me back into it. Loved it. And um, I'm really happy. I, I've, I've made this a uh, career. So what, so you in sports, what made you decide to shift into news? And then also like, what are the big differences between news and sports? Sure. Well, and this is something that everyone tells you in the very beginning, you know, I had a news director one time tell me, Hey, I don't envy what you want to do because sports is hard. And that, you know, you're working nights and weekends and when you're single, you know, when you're younger, who cares if you work nights and weekends, right? But I tell you what, if you have a family, if you're married, it makes that a lot tougher if you want to put family first. And when I was working in St. Louis, I loved my job. Uh, I grew up a Cardinals fan. I was in the Cardinals clubhouse, you know, every week. And, um, you know, I was there when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. It was a dream job, but it wasn't a dream job because I never got to see my wife. And, and I promised her and, and everyone I care about that family always comes first. And if you don't put family first, if you don't put your happiness first, then what you do for a living doesn't matter. So, um, you know, while I enjoyed my time at KSDK and I really did love my job, to me, it wasn't worth it because sure, I'm getting paid to talk about sports. It was a lot of fun. But that being said, shifting to news, I'm now Monday through Friday, baby. You know, I wake up really early. That's probably the hardest of my day waking up in the middle of the night. But I'm Monday through Friday. I have my weekends off. I have my afternoon and my evenings off. I go to bed a little early, big whoop. And even, even more so, I, I, I feel like I make more of an impact. I can make more of an impact. I'm telling more meaningful stories on a regular basis now. And frankly, news pays better. Unless you get extremely fortunate, if you get extremely lucky, if you find a lot of success early on, nine times out of 10, a news job is going to pay much better than a sports job because everyone wants the sports jobs. A lot of people, more people are after the sports jobs than the news jobs. So uh, some companies tend to lowball people who want those sports positions. So, you know, it's all about supply and demand, right? So uh, not only do I feel like I'm getting paid more fairly, but I love my schedule. I love the storytelling that I'm doing. And um, I would encourage people if you want to do sports, Still pursue that. You'll never know how that's gonna, how that avenue is gonna work out for you. I would still pursue it. I'm so pursued. I accomplished, you know, one of my one of my major goals of my career. 
uh, I would also encourage you to be really open-minded about where this career takes you because you might end up down an avenue you didn't even know existed or you didn't expect to take, but you'd be happier in the end. So I actually have a follow-up to that. So you mentioned you're at KSTK, that's St. Louis, so a larger market than Colorado Springs, but you, you know you took an anchoring job and you mentioned some of the pros, but do you think the benefits of dropping market sizes outweigh any cons? Oh, for me, absolutely. I mean, you can't get too caught up in market sizes. Someone told me a long time ago, and I agree with this, uh, don't be a, a number chaser, you know, whether that's ratings or, or market sizes. Now, that, sh- that might play into, that may be a factor in making decisions on where to work because typically, right, the higher the market, the better the pay. Maybe you, you'll, you, you'll feel like you'll get more storytelling opportunities of which you want because you're in a bigger market. Uh, but I specifically chose Colorado Springs for a reason. Um, I just didn't throw out resumes left and right. I target Colorado Springs in particular because we have family in Colorado. We have great friends in Colorado. And we liked it out here. Me and my wife vacationed here when we first met. And uh, it just so happened there was an opening here. And I made contacts and kind of wiggled my way in and made a good impression. But uh, no, dropping market sizes. Now, I wouldn't go to, I don't know, I wouldn't go back to a town the size of my hometown. As much as I love my hometown, I wouldn't go back to a town that's, you know, two, 3,000 people, uh, you know, or a city that's, you know, equally as small that actually has a TV station. But uh, I, I made sure that uh, it's kind of funny. Again, um, even if you drop market sizes, if you're willing to be flexible, news most likely is going to pay you more fairly than sports. So when I came here, my boss here gave me a great offer, and um, I feel like, again, I was treated very fairly. And even though we're like a medium-sized market, we have a lot of news here, and I consider that as a factor, too. All right, so let's talk about your hours as a morning anchor. What time do you get up? What time do you go to bed? Just walk us through your day-to-day. Yeah, I go to bed at like, I try to go to bed at 7, 7.30, and it never happens. We have way too much to watch on Netflix. My dog is way too hyper for that. Um, so I usually go to bed around eight and my alarm goes off two forty-five AM. So that gives me roughly six to six and a half hours of sleep. That's okay. It's not great, but it's enough to function and feel okay. Kind of still be myself on TV. Uh, I show up to work at three thirty AM. I live three minutes down the hill. So it's literally, you know, I'll leave here at, you know, some mornings I'll leave here at three 30 and I'll be at work by three 33 sitting at my desk. Um, and then we go on the air at 4.30 a.m. We, we were on the air from 4.30 to 7. Uh, we do cut-ins for Good Morning America between 7 to 9. I'm doing other things, working on other stories. And then we have a, a show at noon, and then I'm off at 1 o'clock. So it's a relatively long day if you don't really get uh, enough of a break. I typically do get a pretty good lunch break, breakfast break in the middle there. And I just come home and, you know, I walk my dog, I eat breakfast, and go back to work. It's really nice. But, um, again, I'm off by 1 o'clock. And then I have the rest of my afternoon free, my evenings free. And then the big thing is having weekends free. And uh, I worked weekends for about five years. So I get the sacrifice. Um, I feel like I paid my, I feel like I paid my dues. And now that, um, you know, I have a, a pretty strong family life and having those weekends, that's a game changer. It really is. So for someone like me entering the business or going to school for this, what are the biggest things you feel they need to know, like, what is something that you knew 
in college? And also, do you feel like people are getting into the business for the wrong reason? So, man, there's there's so many things I wish I would have known. Um, I'll tell you what, and I've talked about this before with my, I just talked about this in October. I went back to Alabama for homecoming. And I said, I said, you know, I think I was overconfident in college, you know, because, and she goes, oh, you're pretty cocky. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. I was pretty cocky, I guess. There's a fine line between overconfidence and cocky, right? Um, I guess just because you're, if you're the best storyteller in your class, if you think you have talent, that doesn't mean anything. You can be one of the best in your class and still not get a job. You have to make sure that you're really open-minded, willing to learn constantly. Um, I have a friend. A, he is a PhD from Berkeley. Uh, he is a world-renowned English professor, writer, editor. He's 81 years old, and he's still learning on how to become a better writer. Uh, his name's John. And I always think about John when I think about how to improve my storytelling abilities, my anchoring abilities, uh, producing, because I have to produce here and there. You're, you're never, uh, the learning never ends. You can always become a better storyteller. And if you interview some of my uh, role models, I've never had the pleasure of meeting, but Steve Hartman, maybe Alex Tompkins, Boyd Hoopert, they'll likely tell you the same thing. They're probably always still learning. So I wish someone would have told me that. I wish someone would have, would have, would have like, you know, calm me down a little bit. Hey, you're, you're good, but you're not that good. All right, settle down. You still have to work incredibly hard. Um, and then, yeah, I think there are, uh, I'm going to be doing a YouTube video eventually, a little tongue in cheek, but not really, about how you can tell someone's in the business for the right reasons, aka they just want to be on TV. Now, there's mm-hmm. an urban legend. And if you know someone who went to Syracuse, ask them about this. This, this may be urban legend, urban legend. It likely is. But even if it is just a legend, don't think the message is the same. So the story goes like this. There's a Syracuse professor. You know, Bob Costas went to Syracuse, a uh, world-renowned broadcasting school there up there in, in New York. And the professor, it's a freshman class, uh, first day of class, he asked the students, who here wants to be on TV? And, and most of the class raises their hands. And he looks at the class and he says, Get the hell out of my classroom. And then he pers- pursued to tell them, hey, you're not in this to be on TV. You're in this to be a journalist first. You're a journalist who just happens to be on TV. Now, again, that may just be urban legends, a story I heard nine years ago. But even if it's not true, I love the message. So you want to make sure. And producers, I feel like producers, you don't see this as much. I feel like if you want to produce, you truly have a passion for storytelling or news gathering. Uh, of course, you see this a lot on camera because people think it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be easy. I don't know what they're thinking, but they did, a lot of people just want to be on TV. Um, if your social media posts look like uh, you're like a wannabe in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, or you're like a, a millennial Ron Burgundy, you're probably not in it for the right reasons, all right? If you don't care about actual storytelling, if you're not willing to try to learn how to better your skills as a storyteller, maybe learn how to be an MMJ in the very beginning. If you're not watching Boyd Hooper, Mike Bush, if you're not watching others trying to become a better storyteller, you might be in the business for the wrong reasons. I feel like Jeff Foxworthy right now. You kids probably know, you don't even know who that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, if, you, uh, if you want to anchor immediately with no reporting experience, probably in the business for the wrong reasons. I've seen that before too. They just want to go straight to anchoring. That's all they want to do. They don't want to report. Uh, I knew an anchor one time 
who asked what logging a package meant. And uh, his coworkers were pretty blown away by that. Um, and if you don't care about the stories, if you don't care what you're doing, if you don't care about the families of whom you're reporting on, um, then you might be in the business for the wrong reasons. Because these stories really matter to people. They can really affect people's lives. You do a good job, they can really improve their lives for the better. You can make it a, a tremendous impact, a positive impact on people. So if you, don't, if you don't cherish that, if you don't really truly appreciate that, then you might want to consider a different career. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Oh, I love it. I love it because that's what I think. Like I've seen, I've come across a lot of, you know, Instagram accounts of news reporters, not to single anybody out, but I have seen somewhere. I think you put it well when you said they look like they're on the, <laughs> the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Hey, listen, you know? I love swimsuits. I love swimsuits. You know, post a swimsuit picture, you're on vacation, have a ball. But when like 90% of your Instagram page is yeah. like, you know, it's all skin and bones, and then there's like nothing to do with broadcasting. You got to raise some question marks. I'm not. I'm not just singling out women. Yeah. You know, some men do it too. Yeah. That's why I, I I threw out the, the the millennial Ron Burgundy type thing. If you make your social media all about you, maybe you're at a uh, you know a tragic event and you take a selfie. Maybe you're not in this business for the right reasons. So now, for a viewer on the other side of the on the uh, TV set. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you feel that they might have? <laughs> so I had someone come up to me years ago. Hey, man, I want you every morning, man. Hey, what they start you about? 80 a year? Uh, well, you know, in smaller markets, you know, they, uh, you have a much more humble salary. Just got the blanks there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or how about some of the viewers who think just because you work for an ABC affiliate, you're hanging out with like, George Stephanopoulos and, and Michael Strahan after the show. They don't understand that we're just an affiliate. That, that always cracks me up. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing is, is this. Uh, in, in, in the world we live in right now, it's 2021. Think about what's happened over the past five or six years in our country. Uh, a lot of people don't understand the news gathering process. They think that uh, most journalists are incredibly biased. They are out to prove a point. Um, they have an agenda and in my opinion, that's simply because of cable news channels. Okay. I mean, we just saw a story this morning that broke about how some Fox news channel hosts, even though they have been touting for several months now, since January 6th of last year, that January 6th was a peaceful protest. It might've been Antifa, you know, Trump had, uh, nothing to do with the, the insurrection that happened. Well, behind the scenes, have just found out because of Congress uh, releasing texts that Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, they were actually texting uh, Trump's chief of staff, telling him, hey, he needs to do something about this. He needs to stop. He needs to tell these people to go home. This is ruining his legacy. But on camera, they weren't telling their viewers that. So I feel like there's a lot of, and Fox News Channel isn't the only guilty party here, but there's a lot of damage being done by entertainment hosts posing as news factual journalists and that's hurting us little guys if you count us as little guys you know or, or your local news reporters so um while the attacks have i in my opinion at least where i live and on my social media while the attacks have dwindled somewhat over the past year thankfully they still exist and i just hope in the in, in this decade that, that that trend continues a downward spiral that that trust is regained 
with quote unquote the media. Um, because without real journalists, man, our democracy is in trouble. So uh, I apologize in advance for the long rant right there, but uh, I think if you have, do have a passion for journalism and you love our country, then you, you understand how important we are and you understand how important uh, gaining the public's trust back really is. And I have no idea how we do that as a macrocosm, maybe as a microcosm, yes, but uh, more pervasively. Uh, how do we gain the public's trust when you have cable news with millions of people as an audience every night saying, you know, spewing lies every night? I'm not sure how that happens uh, until those big bosses at those cable uh, news networks do make some, some major changes. But um, I would put that number one at the top of my list. If there's someone watching this um, and, and they do question the media or the local journalists, um, I would encourage you to speak with someone like myself and we would be, we would be totally transparent on our news gathering process. And, um, and I want to be as transparent as possible with everything. And I think maybe that's one way we can have a little bit. So, yeah, let's actually ask a follow-up on that because I know for someone like myself or yourself who has experience in the industry, we obviously know of the editorial meeting, but someone listening to this might not know what that is. So kind of just discuss the editorial meeting, what happens during that. Yeah, sure. Of course. So every station where I've worked, you typically have two meetings throughout the day. You have uh, not only do you have, you know, the morning show, but after the morning show, uh, the day siders come in and you have a meeting around 930 a.m. And your reporters pitch stories um, for what they want to do for the day. And those they're, they're typically stories that are very timely. Right. They're happening that day or maybe they happened overnight. and It's time to do a follow up. But you pitch stories, uh, the news director, uh, the executive producer, your producers, they're all in the meeting as well. And uh, they, they assign your stories for the day based on the stories you pitch. If they like it, they'll say they'll give you a green light or a red light, maybe tell you to go rework it a little bit. And then you go do your story. And then around maybe 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, the nightsiders come in, typically a smaller crew, and they do the same thing for the 10 o'clock news, right? But... When it comes to every station where I've worked, and this is standard, standard journalism practices, if you're trying to confirm a fact, you need at least two sources, all right? If you talk to a political party, all right, let's say there's a Republican you're speaking with, do everything in your best effort to get the Democratic side as well. If there's more than, if there's four sides to a story, you do everything in your power to get all four sides. And if you don't, you're very transparent about why one party didn't respond, you say that. So um, is it, we're human, there are mistakes, that does happen, but there, there's no agenda, there's no, there's no mass phone conference with all the networks at the morning meeting, right? You're, we're not talking to ABC News, we're not talking to CNN, we're not talking to Fox or MSNBC. We're only here to cover local news. And if there's a national, if there's a local angle to a national story, we'll do that, of course. But we're here for our community, and if we don't put our community first and we're not transparent and we're not fair, well, then guess what? There's no way we could survive because we rely on our community to support us. And that's it goes both ways. Yeah. So staying on the topic of viewers, some are nice, some are not. Have you ever gotten hate mail? And if you have, how do you how do you deal with that? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Um, I fortunately have not been subject to too many attacks, but it does happen. You ignore them. Um, if you feel like there's a credible threat, then you report it. 
If you feel like they have a credible complaint, then yes, you address it. If you made a mistake, again, you'd be transparent. You address it, you tell them exactly what happened, and you do anything you can to right your wrongs. If it's just a troll, I'm on I'm, I'm, I'm the side of just ignoring it. It's not worth your time. Um, those, those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Okay, that's fair. So do you feel like journalism has changed throughout your um, time in the business? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Jacob. When I was in college, my last year of college, we had to learn two ways to edit. We had linear and nonlinear. So nonlinear is like our editing programs we have now. We use Final Cut Pro, what have Edius, whatever. And then linear was actually put the tape in machines. You have two machines, two monitors, and you're, you're rewinding, and you're cutting, and you're fast-forwarding, you're cutting, and you log it. And it's an actual machine. I had to learn both ways because – uh, the old way was being phased out and the new way was the, with the editing software was slowly being phased in. So that's one major way it's changed. I mean, the technology is outrageous now. Um, do most stations even use live trucks anymore? I mean, when I was a morning reporter just back in 2013, 2014, we used a live truck for every single shot. Uh, now where I'm at, they never use a live truck. Everything's on a backpack, right? Um, but yeah, as far as journalism goes in particular, things have changed drastically just in the past five years because of the landscape with who's been in the White House and all the crazy news coverage has happened since then. But um, yeah, man, it's, it, it's, it's, it's an exciting time, though, I think, to be a journalist because I do think it's times like these in which you can make the biggest difference. So do you have an agent? Why or why not? I do not have an agent. I used to have an agent. Um, it was an okay experience, but I learned to find ways where you can, you can do everything yourself and you don't have to pay someone eight, nine, 10%. And when you don't make that much money, especially in the beginning of your career, oh my God, eight, nine, 10%. That's a lot of money. Think about it. If you're, let's say you're fortunate enough, your first job, you're making 40 grand a year. So let's say 10%, you're going to pay someone $4,000 a year. over your two-year contract to do what? To maybe make your resume real, which they didn't. I made my own. To maybe help negotiate, uh, you know, to throw out your resume tape and and get little nibbles and then negotiate for you. Guess what? I did all that on my own too. I have a YouTube video on how to do all that. I read a book. If you can read, you can do it. Trust me. I do think you can do all that on your own. You You can network. You can pitch yourself. You can negotiate all on your own. You don't need to pay someone thousands and thousands of dollars. And then you can hire a, a lawyer and pay them a one-time fee to look at everything over for you. That being said, I do think there is a time, probably delivery right there. I do think there is a time when it's uh, time to get representation. And that's, that's when you're ready, if you're ready, to go to a network. Um, because at that point, you're at a stage in your career where Every little piece of information in your contract is so important. You don't want to lose out on an opportunity if, if they feel more comfortable talking to an agent. And with local television news, you know, it's more, hey, it's, there's a news director, a GM, very simple. Well, at different networks, there's different talent scouts, producers. There's a lot of people who have hands in making the decisions that your agents probably know and you don't, that you won't have access to. So when you're ready to go network, yes, I would get an agent. Until then, I would avoid it. That's just my opinion. Okay. So what made you decide to start your own YouTube channel? COVID. <laughs> All of a sudden, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. 
And so I had an extra, I don't know, several hours a week where I'm like getting bored. And so I had my YouTube, I've had my YouTube channel forever, but it was just a place where I would upload my stories so my mom could watch. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Why not make this useful? You know, I don't know how many viewers I'm going to get. Um, I talked, uh, I spoke with a professor of mine who used to have an Alabama, Chandra Clark. She's like, hey, our students would love to hear about this. They'd love to know X, Y, and Z. And so during my spare time, I do some videos out here and there. And um, I've really enjoyed it. I wish I had more time to post. I wish I could do it every week uh, now because our lives are essentially back to normal. Um, not only am I slammed with work, but we also have social lives again. We're doing things. We're renovating the vacations, you name it. But um, I will continually post um, intermittently whenever I can because I, I do enjoy connecting with other people in the industry, whether they're younger, older, um, have more experience than me or less experience. It's a, I really appreciate the way, like, like you guys, I really appreciate, um, you know, having people reach out to me and, and just connecting with people and, and hearing their, how their journeys are going. And, and I love to help however I can, because when I first started out, I did not get, um, a lot of advice. I got a little bit, but if, you know, if there were some, some professionals, you know, in California or Missouri or what have you, if they would have reached out to me when I was 21, 22 years old, I would, I would have been over the moon about it. So um, I, I really do enjoy doing it, but it all started just because of COVID. All right. Well, your ownership company that you work for NPG is a smaller company, family owned. So what's it like working for them as opposed to maybe a larger chain? Well, I think there's pros and cons to both. And I'm not going to speak for companies that um, of which I've never worked, uh, but you know, I will say about MPG, I really appreciate what they do. Uh, I believe they still own 10 stations. Uh, we're, we're their, we are their flagship station. We're their largest station here in Colorado Springs. We're market 80 something. Um, but the owners, they come and visit us at least a couple times a year. Uh, the Bradleys, they are fantastic people. They're super nice down to earth. And I, I really appreciate their effort to just connect with us because not all owners or company CEOs would make an effort to visit every single station and sit down with people and shake hands and, Hey, how's everything going? And, and talk about anything. Yeah. How are your kids? You know? And so I really appreciate that. And I do feel like because it's a smaller company, if you do have an issue, it's addressed more quickly. And, um, you know, I, frankly, I think they, they treat me very fairly and they have pretty good benefits, which is important. Um, so again, I don't, any other companies right now but uh, when it comes to my company yes when it comes to other companies maybe i won't say by name i will say this because there are companies uh, that do exist like this if there's a company out there that you feel will put you in a spot that might uh compromise your journalistic integrity don't do it i don't care how much they're offering i don't care if it's your dream city if you have a passion about journalism if you're not just looking to be on tv you're taking a gigantic risk there. That's a risk I am not willing to take. So the company does matter. Leadership matters. Chase good management. Is there anything you think the industry as a whole needs to be better at? I would say, and this is really hard, I would say making sure that we do stories that positively impact people. I feel like it's very easy in news to be all, you know, if it bleeds, it leads type mentality. Um, you know, if there's a story about a little boy, and I feel like my station did a really good job of doing this. If there's a little boy 
who's 10 years old. Unless I'm making something up. Let's just say he's selling cupcakes. And those cupcakes all go towards uh, homeless kids in this community. If you have uh, a choice between that as like a bosat and maybe a car accident that, that killed two people, the kid, maybe, maybe you can mention traffic you know, during your traffic hit. Or maybe if, if that road's already cleared, um, you know, if it's not affecting traffic, there's, there's been times where I've been told to cover a story where literally it's a dumpster fire, literally someone's back shed caught on fire, didn't affect the house. No one injured, no one going to the hospital, no one killed certainly. And yet how did that make a newscast? Who cares? Didn't affect anybody, but that guy who lives there and he's fine. He's walking around, you know, I don't know, going to McDonald's. Do something that do more stories that positively affect the community. Um, and I do think some people do appreciate that. But I, I think the biggest thing is just earning the public's trust. You know, be transparent. Be transparent as much as you can. Be a good person. Be a good journalist. Um, I like to say compassion first, news second. Show compassion towards people first and your community first, and news always comes second. So your tagline that you use on your YouTube channel is let's be atypical. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So everything, everything that I've mentioned, you know, be transparent. Um, Don't be one of those people who just wants to be on TV, but most importantly, be a journalist where, where we help lift each other up. I feel like some people see this as a big competition. I've been in newsrooms before where some of my own coworkers, I feel like they're on a different team. Like they're competing against me. And that's not how it should be. And again, when I was a younger journalist, I didn't feel like I was lifted up. So I want to lift others up. Let's be atypical. Let's not be the typical uh, competitive, um, I don't know, maniac. And you feel like you're very possessive and this is mine. It's not yours. Let's lift each other up. Let's help each other navigate this bizarre career because it can be very bizarre and let's lift each other up. Let's help each other become successful. What do you mean by it? Like it can be bizarre. What do you mean by that? Well, how many do you know of where people just automatically know who you are and they walk up and say, hey, so what they start you out? But hey, you're, I mean, how's that in your business? I mean, what other career do you have where people come up and they say, hey, will you do me a favor and tell Heather uh, that she needs to change her hair? What? This is a weird, it's a weird career. It really is. Um, I enjoy being on camera, but that's not even close to being the sole reason I'm in this, in this business. So, um, yeah, it's a little weird. Just acknowledge it. It's a little weird. I mean, it's the only career that I'd wake up for at two 45 in the morning and put on makeup for. So I had a couple of follow-ups. So let me go back to your, what you just said a second ago, compassion first, new second. Do you feel and you don't have to name names, obviously, but do you feel that there's some in the industry that might lack that when they're being out of stories? Because I've seen some on maybe Instagram and they're putting pictures at a crime scene. They're like smiling. Do you feel people lack that maybe? Yeah. And that's how you lose trust. And listen, uh, and not everybody does it purposely. There, people make mistakes. And I've made a mistake before. Uh, one that I remember that I regret. And thankfully, it wasn't a detrimental mistake. It was, I think, a relatively minor mistake, but I still felt terrible about it. Put people first. For instance, um, one of the things I've ever had to do was when I worked in Kansas City 
And and let's just I'm just throwing out one example. Let's let's just say a family just lost their their daughter in a car crash, and it was a car crash that had like several teenagers in it that passed away. So it's a new story, right? Um, and you have to go knock on the door to see if they're willing to talk about it. Sucks. It sucks. Um, if the family has a liaison, that happens now, and I highly encourage if a tragedy does happen that families have liaisons so the family doesn't have to deal with the media. But I will say this, it, it, is, it, it can be important to do, it's, it's a tough scenario. You have to read the room very carefully, okay? Because there are circumstances where maybe someone was killed and maybe the family does want to talk. Maybe they want to use your platform as a way to get word out about their loved one, obviously, okay? And we want to give them that opportunity. But if they're not ready, don't force it, all right? If you just get a bad feeling walking up the door, walking up, maybe leave your business card and walk away, okay? That's okay. And I don't care what your producer says, what your EP says. They, they're not the ones doing it. If you're the one actually there, feeling what's in the air, all right, getting getting the vibe. And if it doesn't feel right, again, compassion first. Leave your business card. They'll call you if they want to talk to you. Now, if you get a feeling that they do want to talk soon, if they if they already want to speak with you, then yeah, make it happen because. Again, you're, you're, you're giving them the opportunity to use your platform as a way to maybe help with the GoFundMe account that they started or get the word about how awesome their, their kid was and how, they're changing, how they changed the world. Um, but uh, that's the hardest thing I ever had to do as a journalist. And just make sure that, that, uh, that that's one way to lose faith in the public real fast is if you're, if you're forcing a camera in people's faces after a tragedy. That's just one thing that popped in my head right there. I'm sure there are several other examples, but just keep in mind that for me and my experience, that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And you do have to make some tough calls. And I think that if you put compassion first towards families, especially in your local community over news first, you may not be rewarded for the five o'clock news that night, but in the long run, it will pay huge dividends because people pick up on that. People will understand that, Hey, that person's a good a good gal, a good dude. And maybe in the long run, you'll gain that reputation and more people will speak with you and they'll, they'll actually trust you. All right. So let's go back to what we talked about earlier with your mental health and just the mental health conditions of working in local news. Do you ever feel affected by it and the stories that you have to include or your show and talk about? And just how do you manage through all that? Um, yeah, if you're a human and you have compassion for people and empathy, then yeah, you, you, you're, you're a sponge. You soak some of this up, especially if you're a reporter, if you're on the front lines, if you're talking with these families, you need to be human. You just do. And, um, if, if you absorb some of that, I spoke with, uh, someone in Kansas city, uh, a first responder years ago who said the one, one of the things they teach um, firefighters, police officers, when they get home from a hard day, well, any day for that matter, take off your uniform. That is one mental way to disconnect saying, Hey, okay, I'm taking off my uniform. And guess what? I only took off part of my uniform afterwards today. I still got to take this thing off, but take off your uniform. And that mentally that's going to help you say, okay, this is, this is disconnecting me from what happened today. Now it's time to be with my family. Or, or myself, maybe it's a long time for a run. Maybe you're just watching Netflix or zoning out. Maybe you're playing guitar or piano, but you need to take off your uniform. 
So that's one thing I, I, I never forgot. And then there's nothing wrong with, with uh, therapy. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of therapy. One of my best friends is a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, if I could afford it, I'd be in therapy all the time. I just think you learn so much about yourself and how to deal with toxic things in your life. So if you do have access to mental health care, I 100% support that. Josh, what advice do you have for those like myself who are who want to enter the industry? Chase good management. Be patient. Work hard. Sounds simple, right? But yeah, if you work hard, um, not only will you feel better about yourself because you'll have a good work ethic, but be flexible as well. That's part of being work hard. Be very flexible. Be the person that people can count on. If you're in a pinch. Uh, oh my God, we need someone to finish producing this show. Jacob, can, can you come in? Uh, Jim, we need you to stay extra uh, like an hour later tonight because we need you to cut an extra bosan. Is that cool? Be flexible. You'll be rewarded. Your first job will not be your dream job. Okay. It won't. Your second job may not even be your dream job, but be patient, work hard. It'll pay off. I want to ask you about chasing good management. So how, how do you know I mean? How do you know before you step foot into that station? It's hard. It's hard. But hey, guess what? Network, uh, reach out to people at that station, whether you know them or not. Ask them for an informational interview. Hey, we don't know each other. It helps if you have a a shared contact. But hey, um, I'm really interested in in maybe taking a job in this market someday. Do you have 20 minutes of your time? I'd love to connect with you. And can you just share what uh, it's been like for you working in the city, working for this station, working for this company? I'd love to hear your thoughts you'd be surprised how many people want to help. You'll have some curmud up there who won't get back to you or they'll say no, but honestly, probably 60, 70% of people really want to help. And they'll, they'll give you 15, 20 minutes of your time, real. And if you do enough of that, you're going to get a really good idea. And you may have to read between the lines a little bit, but listen very carefully to what people are saying about that gene, about that nature, about that company. Google search. You'd be surprised if you can find based on a, a basic Google search about certain companies, right? Um, it, but that being said, let's say you have it narrowed down to a couple of places and sometimes you just have to go with your gut. Sometimes you have to go into an interview and sit down with that news director or that general manager for, uh, for a good bit of time. And then you need to walk out of there with, with your gut feeling. Thankfully, my management where I'm at now is fantastic. They're great people. I like their leadership. Uh, there's a mutual trust right there. And, um, I mean, I, they're fantastic. So if you're, if you're fortunate enough to say that you're in a good spot. Let's end on some wider notes. So Colorado Springs is a beautiful city. I visited it last year. What are some of your favorite places to hit up in your off time there? Well, I can see garden of the gods from my window. So if you've been to garden of the gods, I run that as much as I can. Uh, I just ran it this past weekend. I'm going to run it again on Saturday. I'm a big runner. Uh, I bike. North Cheyenne Canyon, it's awesome to bike through there. It's like a 14-mile loop from my house. And you go uphill on the side of a mountain, and you bike down another like five miles, and you go at 35 miles an hour, and you think you're going to die, but you don't. Um, You can take a cog railway up to Pikes Peak. That's awesome. We have one of the best zoos in the country where you can feed the giraffes um, with lettuce, like bare hand. Um, we have the air force Academy. 
Uh, there's white water rafting just down the road. Uh, Pikes Peak's right here. It's awesome. It's great. I love it. Again, we moved here for a reason. So if you're a young person and you're on your looking for your first or second job and you're really talented, ask me for an informational interview. If we have a job opening and I like you, maybe we can get you a job here. So streaming recommendations. You mentioned you watch a lot of Netflix. What are you watching now? Ooh. Well, I actually just got HBO Max for the first time. And uh, I'm obsessed with Back to the Future and time travel. So as of right now, I paused it before we went on here. It's called Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. It's some movie with Anna Faris. Um, that's what I'm watching right now. But what would I recommend? Well, I love stand-up. Right. So any yeah. stand-up that's on Netflix, I usually like Kevin Hart. Um, yeah, you know. All right, last question. Hopefully this is easier. Josh, where can our listeners and viewers connect with you on social media? Oh man, I'm easy to find. Just Google me. I'm on I'm on the Facebook, I'm on the Twitter, I'm on the Instagram. I am not cool enough to be on the TikTok, unfortunately. But yeah, connect with me on the gram, uh, just Josh Helmuth. Uh, I'm on YouTube, Josh Helmuth. I think it's just YouTube slash Josh Helmuth. Um, yeah, man. But if, if anybody's watching this and they want to connect, would love to. Would love to hear about your journey, and I, I would love to help out any way I can. All right, Josh, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, and thank you, everyone. At, or at work or wherever you are for watching and listening to Broadcast Bulletin. Make sure to go to our website, uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram at Broadcast Bulletin. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, so that's all for now. I'm Jacob Brooks for Jim Stanton. Thanks for watching. Next Thursday on Broadcast Bulletin, we welcome KFSM reporter Michael Wilson to the conversation. Michael will discuss what it is like being a person of color in news and the struggles he faces on a day-to-day basis. I was talking to another student of color at my school and we were worried about just being a diversity hire. And it's like, am I good or am I black? Which We will also discuss why working at Tegna was one of his career goals. Tegna, I just feel like they're very open, progressive, innovative. And so much more. That's on next week's episode of Broadcast Bulletin. The views and opinions expressed by the guests in this episode of Broadcast Bulletin are solely theirs. They do not reflect those of their past or present employers, nor those of Broadcast Bulletin or its hosts in any way.